G'day folks, welcome to episode 84 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. So this week we've got a huge 109 different CVEs to look at in the weekly roundup of vulnerabilities and so we're going to go through those pretty quick because uh, coming up I've got a great interview done with myself and uh, my great co-host Joe McManus, the Director of Security at Canonical about uh, this recently announced boothole vulnerability, uh, something that we've been working on at uh, Canonical for Ubuntu for a good few months now. Uh, kind of working behind the scenes. We've got an interview there that really details, I guess, what's been going on there, what makes up the vulnerability, but also what has been yeah, going on to try and resolve it within uh, the various Linux communities. Uh, but yeah, first, let's just get into our usual roundup of fixes for the week. Uh, as I said, there were 109 different CVEs that were covered by updates uh, for the team this week. We had an update for Python. Uh, this was for all of our releases back to 1204 extended security maintenance. So that's 1204 extended security maintenance, 1404 extended security maintenance, 1604, 1804, and 2004 LTS. Uh, the most interesting of these was uh, CPU-based denial of service that could uh, occur when processing a crafted tar archive uh, within reach an infinite loop and just keep spinning. Uh, the others were kind of low priority, so yeah, we're going to skip over those. We had an update for FFmpeg as well uh, for all of our long-term support releases, so 1604, 1804, and 2004 LTS. Uh, this was nine different CVEs that were covered in that, uh, and the usual range of kind of issues that we see. Uh, so there was a user after free, uh, a couple different use of uninitialized variables, because uh, it would use scanf to parse certain things and then not bother to check the return value, and uh, scanf wasn't then filling in the variables and it would go and use them. Uh, there was a heap buffer overread, uh, there was some null pointer dereferences, and a lot of these were actually found via OSS fuzz, which is uh, a Google project that uh, is continuously fuzzing various open source uh, pieces of software on Google's huge cluster of machines. So thanks Google for running that. Uh, we had an update for Pillow. Uh, I mentioned Pillow uh, in last week's episode, so this was a corresponding update for Ubuntu 2004 LTS. Uh, the most you know, interesting one of this was a couple of different buffer overflows in the TIFF decoder. Uh, so your Pillow is the uh, or is a Python uh, image handling library. We also had an update for OpenJDK. That was eight different CVEs that were covered in that uh, for Ubuntu 18.04 and 20.04 LTS. Uh, in particular, I want to shout out to Tiago from the Ubuntu Foundations team who did a lot of the work preparing these updates. And as usual, this is the uh, standard mix of things that we see in Java updates. Uh, in particular, in this case, sorry, it's updating to Java 11.0.8, the upstream release. And it includes things like a fix for a possible sandbox escape, uh, a crash in the TIFF decoder there as well, a uh, failure to properly validate uh, TLS certs uh, under certain conditions, and yeah, a bunch of other things as well. We had an update for libvnc server. So this is for Ubuntu 16.04, 18.04, and 20.04 LTS. And again, uh, the same kind of things that we normally see. So a couple of different null pointer dereferences. Uh, there was an infinite loop, so it could lead to a denial of service under particular conditions when closing the connection to the server. Uh, there was some misaligned data accesses that were being done. So essentially it would have a pointer to you know, some a random amount of bytes. It would then uh, dereference that as a 32-bit uh, integer, let's say, to read it as um say a whole a whole word at once uh, that would not necessarily be word aligned and so on certain architectures that could actually cause a crash um yeah there was also an integer overflow that was fixed and out of bounds read so again these libraries uh, and applications written in c uh, that deal with particularly complex image formats often have the same kind of um, vulnerabilities in them there was an update as well for clam av this is 
three different CVEs that were fixed for Ubuntu 1204 and 1404 ESM and 1604, 1804 and 24LTS. So in that case, we are updating ClamAV to the latest upstream point release, which is uh, 0.102.4. Uh, there was a null point dereference on crafted egg files. Uh, there was a race condition where uh, when it was uh, scanning a particular file, uh, you could then go and replace that with a symlink to something else. It would then go to try to remove that after the fact and could potentially remove whatever you would place the symlink to. Uh, so you could kind of delete arbitrary directories or files off the system. And there was also a fix for an out-of-bounds read in the Arge decoder. And actually, we did talk about that one back in episode 76, but the previous fix for that was incomplete. So this one, with any luck, has fixed it completely. We also had an update for librsvg. This is the GNOME library for handling SVG. Uh, this is actually more recently been rewritten in Rust. So I guess I'm hoping that uh, one day in the future, I won't be talking about vulnerabilities in librsvg anymore. But while we still have uh, versions of it written in C in our older releases, unfortunately, we do still have uh, some issues. Uh, the problem with this was that the uh, upstream fix did contain a regression, so we had to back that out. And so, uh, yeah, that will be refixed again in the future um, with hopefully a more complete fix. Uh, we had an update for libslurp. This is the uh, library used by QMU for certain parts of networking emulation. Uh, there was an out-of-bounds read uh, when replying to ICMP6 uh, echo messages, uh, and that could possibly leak uh, the contents of host memory out of the guest, so you'd get an information disclosure. Uh, what else? We also had an update for SQLite, fixing a heat buffer overflow for Ubuntu 24 LTS. Uh, we had a kernel, we had two kernel updates, should I say, for um, Ubuntu 18.04 LTS. One of them was the uh, 5.0 based upstream kernel that is used in uh, some GKE environments and so on some of our OEM platforms. And we also had an update for the 5.3 based kernel, uh, which is the hardware enablement kernel there for Ubuntu 18.04 LTS. And it's also used uh, in particular cloud environments like Azure, GCP, GKE, and Oracle. Uh, just a few more to get through. We had an update for MySQL. Uh, this was for Ubuntu releases 16.04, and 20.04 LTS. Uh, that was updating to the latest point releases again for MySQL. So that's 8.0.21 for Ubuntu 20.04 LTS. And uh, MySQL 5.7.31 for Bionic and Xenium, or that is uh, Ubuntu 18.04 and 16.04 LTS. Uh, this has the usual, again, usual um, mix of issues that are fixed in the update. If you want more details, you can certainly go and look at uh, the Ubuntu security notice for that, which contains links to further details from Oracle on that. Uh, we had an update for Simper. This is a mailing list manager, um, and this was for Ubuntu uh, 14.04 extended security maintenance. Uh, this had one high priority vulnerability where you could get possible privilege escalation to root uh, through injection of environment variables. Uh, so it has these set UID wrappers that run kind of arbitrary code. Uh, they're meant to do things safely, but you could yeah, possibly set, say, things like a uh, Perl 5 path in that, and it would then go and you know, run arbitrary Perl code for you as root. So yeah, not a great one, but it has been fixed for Simper in Ubuntu 14.04 ESM. And uh, the last couple, we had an update for Firefox. So this is the latest upstream Firefox release, 79.0. This was for Ubuntu releases 16.04, 18.04, and 20.04 LTS. And finally, the big story of this week, uh, an update for Grub. So eight different CVEs were resolved in this. Uh, that was for Grub going all the way back to 14.04 extended security maintenance, as well as our LTS releases. And I'm not going to go into detail of that here because coming up just now, I've got an interview that I did uh, with Joe McManus, Director of Security at Canonical, uh, going into a lot more detail on this.
Hey, Alex. This week on the Ubuntu Security Podcast, we are going to talk about a news uh, vulnerability that came out this week around Grub and well, Grub Two, and it's called Boot Hole or Hole in the Boot. It's CVE twenty twenty dash one zero seven one three. It basically affects all well all distributions running on modern hardware. Um, so. Sort of in a, um, just as a high level, first off, can you, and let me be clear, we're going to go high level, then we're going to go into some, into some details here on this call. So we can hope for the people who are just kind of want to know at a glance what's going on. We got that for you in the beginning, but then we're going to go into some really, uh, really nerdy details for folks who want to know a bit more. So, um, Alex, at a high level, what's going on with, um, with Boothole? Yeah, so uh, at the start of April uh, at Canonical, we received a report from some researchers at Eclipsium that they'd found uh, what looked like a buffer overflow in uh, Grub, the bootloader that is used for Ubuntu and uh, lots of other Linux distributions. Uh, we were pretty quick to redirect them back to the, the Grub maintainers but um, so that you know this could be coordinated across, obviously not just affecting Ubuntu, but affecting you know, many other distros as well. Uh, but the basic idea was that uh, there's so Grub has a configuration file. You know, it's usually under slash boot slash grub slash grub dot cfg. Uh, it's editable by root. So you know, to be able to exploit this, you need to be root on the machine, or maybe to be um, to have physical access to the machine. But uh, the idea is that uh, Grub parses this configuration file. The parser is actually uh, generated by uh, like Flex and Bison, so that you know, sort of completely handcrafted parser. And as part of the kind of error handling for that, when it encounters a token that's too big to fit into its internal buffer, it calls this uh, macro. And in the case of Grub, uh, it would just print out that, oh no, you know, an error happened. Whereas really it's meant to stop parsing at that point. And so the problem is that it encounters a token that's too big, it continues on parsing, it reads this giant token into its smaller buffer and you've got a traditional heat-based buffer overflow. So with that, let me ask you a quick question. Um, so it, so Grub, I'll say it was probably just a simple mistake where they thought they were stopping processing it when they printed the error message, but instead of you know exiting the function or whatever, mm. they just continue to process that code that's, that's in there. Yep. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, so it's the kind of thing that uh, I guess when you're coding this, uh, you need to, I don't know, I guess be aware right, of that that kind of control flow that's happening. Um, and in this case, you know, if you are root on the machine, you can edit the configuration file then, you can inject into it shellcode uh, to then be executed uh, when you, know, you hit this buffer overflow. What makes this uh, a little easier to exploit too is that um, this is being executed uh, by the UEFI firmware. And in that case, we don't have um, the additional sorts of hardening protections available to us that we get um, in normal Linux binary. So there's no ALSLR um, and that kind of stuff as well. So actually exploiting this is a fair bit easier too, which is why this is, I guess, such a, a high profile vulnerability. But actually, let me ask you this, Alex. You have to be root to edit this file. But if you're root, <laughs> do whatever you want. So you're root, you edit grub.cfg, and something can be executed at boot. Um, yep. I, your root, why Why does this matter? Okay, so if you are root, um, obviously you have a lot of privileged access to that machine, right? But you can't cause the machine, say, to um, boot things that it shouldn't because of UFI secure boot. 
and you can't kind of subvert the boot process such that maybe you could install like a keylogger that grabs um, like a passphrase early in boot or something like that to unlock the disk, right? In this case, um, UFI secure boot means that you actually can do those things. So what the way UFI secure boot works is that um, almost all machines, uh, modern machines that uh, say ship with Windows, they then ship with this Windows third party certificate that is used to sign uh, things like um, I said, well, not Grub, it's Shim, but this little bootloader that is used to boot Linux systems called Shim. And so as Canonical, we have had our version of Shim signed by Microsoft and lots of other um, distros have as well. Shim then knows that, uh, or it's got baked into it a certificate that is able to validate Grub when Grub boots, right? And so that when, you know, say Ubuntu boots, uh, the UFI firmware validates Shim, Shim validates Grub, and then Grub validates the kernel and boots. In this case, the problem is that basically you can you can have that process work on any machine. That's why you can take the Ubuntu install um, media and you can just install it on your Windows machine without having to disable secure boot, right? Your machine will trust that. The problem then in this case is even if you're not running Ubuntu, you can potentially use this to subvert the boot process of any, you know, say Windows machine that's out there, right? Because there is now these Ubuntu ISO images or, you know, Red Hat ISO images, all, all the ones that have shipped vulnerable Grub versions out there that um, can be used to then subvert the boot process of some other machine that isn't even running Ubuntu. Yeah, and so that's actually a good point. So, okay, so your root on the box, meaning you're a privileged user, and then you can add this file and you can affect what other things, and, and this is a dual boot scenario. But, mm. but, here's the, but I guess I'd say why this is a little more... I mean, my question was kind of leading that I asked earlier. Um, you know, we know that a lot of misconfigured applications run as root. So if someone, so we're saying, you know, you need to be on this box as root to execute this yep. um, attack. But if you're a, if you're running some web app that's running um, incorrectly as root, you know, you started up Flask and you've written it, por uh, some app you've written in Python, you've written it poorly and you're executing code, that could be used to actually, since it's running as root, to edit this file and you could do it without being hands-on on the box. So yeah. it would be sort of um, what we call, you know, popping uh, a third-party app that's running as root to, 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 to compromise this machine. So it's a little, you know, it's, it's more than just... Um, it's more than just being root on the box and editing a file. So, okay, you're root. You could edit Etsy password. You could do whatever you want. Um, but actually, things that run as root could be compromised, which is why you don't run um, applications as um, as root, which is why we've got privilege separation users and things like AppArmor, et cetera. Um, yeah. So, um, okay, so we've got, we figured out the vulnerability, this first vulnerability. Um, but then, uh, you know, the uh, the Ubuntu security team here at Canonical, we took a look at Grub, right? And so Chris Colson on our team, um, who was recently on the podcast talking about um, TPM and full disk encryption, um, he started looking at Grub. And, and and what did he discover? Yeah, so I guess as part of this, we realized that, you know, usually when there's one vulnerability in a piece of software, there are others as well, you know, things that have gotten missed. And so... Uh, Chris in particular did a lot of work uh, doing some static analysis of Grub and then also doing some kind of manual code inspection. He found about seven other different vulnerabilities. Uh, again, the kind of things that we see in this stuff that's written in C, uh, so a lot of integer overflows that would happen when it was parsing either different file system uh, formats or, um, or I think one of them was in font handling as well. So there was a bunch of different things there that, uh, you know, they're kind of a less... Um, they're harder to exploit, so they're not as uh, critical 
but we figured you know obviously if we're going to update grub and in particular if we're going to then say that all these old versions of grub shouldn't be used we should try and fix as many of these vulnerabilities as we can so yeah chris found a bunch of other vulnerabilities uh, and another one was also found by colin watson as well uh, here at canonical who is the uh, maintainer of grub in debian okay um so you know when we when we did this as you said, uh, Eclipsium found this vulner- uh, the original vulnerability and contacted us at, at Canonical. Um, but then, you know, we realized it's not just affecting Ubuntu. It's affecting basically mm. everything um, out there uh, that runs Grub. Um, that's when we go into what we call the embargoed, uh, uh, embargoed period where we're planning a CRD, a coordinated release date. So... Um, can you describe sort of what we do during that embargo period and how we contact the other distributions? Yeah, so in this case, um, as I say, we kind of redirected the Eclipsium researchers to Grub upstream uh, in early April. And then within a, about two weeks, uh, we got uh, we were then contacted by uh, Daniel Keeper from uh, upstream Grub. He works at uh, Oracle, but is the upstream Grub maintainer. And... Uh, as part of that, I think there was Red Hat and a few other Linux distros as well that were contacted at that point, plus um, some uh, OEMs as well that were shipping you know, this kind of stuff. Uh, and so uh, that was really the start of the process as, to try and coordinate it across this wider ecosystem, not just at, say, Canonical. Uh, then there was, you know, again, a bunch of back and forth to set uh, the CRD. So once we then had the CRD, uh, which has just passed, <laughs> hence, hence why we're doing this, um, you know, we could start working on actually resolving it. So that it was at that point then that we kind of said, all right, let's start looking for other vulnerabilities in Grub. Let's try to figure out what patches we might need. Each of the distros then started looking, all right, which of these vulnerabilities is their particular builds of Grub potentially vulnerable to? Uh, and at the same time, we started working with Microsoft so that we could um, kind of ro- eventually be able to roll out the ability to um, disallow these older versions of Grub from being booted at all. Okay, um, very cool. So when we worked with um, with Microsoft, that um, that you know we're talking about Linux right now, and besides things like WSL, why is Microsoft involved in this um, in this Grub CRD? Yeah, so as I mentioned uh, earlier, basically all modern machines will usually ship with the Windows third-party uh, certificate uh, in them as a trusted um, the trust source. So as I say, that then is used to sign our version of Shim, and that then you know we trust our Grub, etc. And so the idea is that um, not only you know can you sort of trust things through UFI Secure Boot, you can also uh, have a list of things which are not trusted or not to be booted. It's called DBX. And uh, to make updates to that DBX list, that needs to be done, again, by a trusted party. And so because almost all the machines out there trust Microsoft, it's easiest if Microsoft can ship this list of things that shouldn't be trusted. Uh, and then that can be applied to basically all machines so that going forward, uh, they aren't able to be kind of exploited using older install media. Okay. Um, so, so, okay, so we've got a new dbx file coming out which will go into the strategy of that in a, in a, in a bit but um now what, what is the remediation to go to fix um uh boot hole and then um the associated uh cvs that that chris and the rest of canonical found so the re- remediation for this is pretty similar to all others you really just need to install the updates on your machine uh, you need to install an updated grub binary uh, that way, then the next time it boots, you know the grub that is running on that boot won't have these vulnerabilities. It can't be exploited. 
So that's actually interesting. So uh, a lot of times when we've got these higher profile um, vulnerabilities, a reboot is required. But since it's actually only exploitable on boot, even if your attacker modified grub.cfg and you've installed the update on boot, that wouldn't exploit anything. So a reboot is not required to fix this. It protects you on the following reboot. Exactly. Um, Cool. So um, I'm noticing that we did not push out a new DBX file on the day of CRD. Um, can you explain to our listeners why we did not do that? Yeah, so the as I say, the DBX file contains in it not just then, um, say, the uh, the list of vulnerable Grub versions for uh, Red Hat or, or and others. It's, it's, there's this huge list, really, of all the different Grub versions that shouldn't be allowed to be booted. Um, the problem with, say, applying that, particularly in a dual boot scenario, is is that uh, you may have, say, an install of Ubuntu on your machine that you haven't booted for a few months, let's say. So you haven't been applying security updates. It's still got the old version of Grub on there that's vulnerable. Uh, and you're then, say, running, uh, I don't know, Red Hat as well. You then install the DBX update uh, via your Red Hat install. The next time you go to boot your Ubuntu install, that won't boot anymore because now the version of Grub that's there won't be trusted. So it won't be able to run. And so... Um, if you're just a, a single install machine, installing the DBX update in general shouldn't be a problem. But if you are doing dual boot or you're running yeah, other, other things as well, that could, be, that could be an issue. Or if perhaps you need to work with older install media, you may not want to install that. Uh, otherwise, you would have to disable UEFI, UEFI Secure Boot to be able to you know, use any of that, that older uh, Grub versions. So, so to address this, we're going to have to build new new cloud images, new install media for all of our current uh, yep. OSs. Um, so I've got an old DVD I burned in 2012 of Ubuntu. I find a USB uh, CDR or DVDR, and I um, and I put that into my machine. Will I be able to boot off that after I've updated the DBX file? No. Okay. Not unless you just have a secure boot. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, so I think this is really a great example of how open source security works, right? One external um, group found the vulnerability, um, contacted us, we got them in, in contact with the right people. All distributions are now benefiting from this, and we're um, fixing it and uh, and making sure that going forward, you know, this type of thing doesn't happen with with Grub. We, you know, while we while this was identified, we looked at Grub, looked at it closer, found more vulnerabilities and address them. So I don't know, I, I just think this is really just a neat example of how open source software is secure. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, yeah, the the open source uh, ecosystem is you know quite healthy. You know, there's a, there was a lot of, um, I guess, help between the distros on this. You know, there's certainly not a competitive uh, environment. You know, we're all wanting to help make each other as secure as possible because that, you know, improves the Linux ecosystem in general. You know, we obviously don't want Ubuntu being able to potentially be used as a, a vector to attack, you know, some other install. And obviously other distros don't want that either. So we all benefit when we work together. Cool. Well, um, thank you everybody for listening this week. And Alex, thank you for explaining in detail about boot hole or hole in the boot. So uh, thank you everybody. And we'll talk to you next week. And thank you, Joe. Thanks always for uh, being a fantastic co-host on the Ubuntu Security Podcast. Love doing that with you each week. So thanks, everyone, for listening again for another week. Uh, has been great to actually finally be able to talk about the grub issue and get that out and kind of get everyone protected. 
yeah, uh, in coming weeks, I hope to talk a bit more about uh, the DBX update. So that will be done by an update to the SecureBoot DB package in Ubuntu, uh, but there are certain, yeah, we need to make sure we get the timing of that right so that we don't inadvertently um, you know, prevent other Linux installs that you may have if you're dual booting or whatever from uh, being able to you know, be booted in the future. So yeah, we kind of need to wait until all the distros get their updated grubs and shims and all that out there until uh, we can go ahead with that. But yeah, that will be coming uh, some point in the future. Uh, if you want to go and do that on your own and uh, yeah, you can uh, go and find the new DBX update on the UEFI forum. All right, that takes us to the end of this week's episode. As usual, if you want to get in contact with the team, you can reach us at security@ubuntu.com. We also hang out in the Ubuntu Harden channel on irc.freenode.net. Uh, we have the security section on discourse.ubuntu.com. And finally, if you want to catch us on Twitter, we are at Ubuntu underscore sec. All right, uh, yeah, so thanks everyone for listening again for another week. Uh, until next week, remember, keep calm because we've got your back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.